and welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast, and I'm excited to be back with you for part two of our season five uh, opener. So this season is all about the intersection of care and social justice. So if you missed any parts of the of the first four seasons, I invite you to go back and to listen. Um, in part one of season five, episode one. I interviewed Reverend Tino Herrera. And so this is part two of that interview. So if you missed part one, please go back and listen. He starts with the very foundational work of what is social justice? Why should we care about it? And what does the intersection of care and social justice look like? So this is part two of our conversation. I'm so excited to bring this part to you. It's, oh, Reverend Tino is so inspirational. I could talk to him for hours. He has so many bright ideas. He's so deep in his theology, his theology of care, his theology of social justice, and of truly bringing the good news to a hurting world. Reverend Tino is uh, going to be appointed, he's currently appointed at Church of the Resurrection in Leawood, Kansas. And in July, uh, just a short month after this uh, will air, uh, he will begin a new appointment as senior minister at Trinity United Methodist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. So I hope that you enjoy part two and, um, and then join us next week. We have so many other rich, excellent interviews coming up. You're not going to want to miss it. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss another episode. Okay, friends, enjoy this conversation, part two. Here we go. There's a couple of other scriptures that I hold on to, you know, obviously Micah 6.8, you know, what does the Lord require of you? Uh, but there's there's another one that I'm really, you know, intrigued with. And, you know, I'm using a different translation here, uh, Eugene Meterston. Uh, is one of my favorite authors as well, and he he did the message translation. But uh, Amos uh, talks about this this justice work as well, uh, and I believe it's uh, Amos chapter five, uh, verses 21, 24, Somewhere I know it's chapter five, verses twenty one. But uh, basically, God is pretty much putting it all out there, like what He cannot stand. Mm-hmm. Um, what is bothering him? You know, he talks about, I can't stand your religious meetings. Like I'm fed up with your conferences and your conventions. <laughs> I want nothing to do with your, your projects. Uh, it's really a, kind of a good uh, passage for, for us to give to church leaders when we're constantly going into meetings all the time mm-hmm. and we need to be out within our community. Mm-hmm. And, and God says, do you know really what I want? Um, I want justice. I want just oceans of it. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Oceans of justice. I want justice. I want fairness. That's really all I want. Uh, I mean, that's in, that's in Amos chapter five, right? So again, in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament, there is this God who was uh, a liberating God who was seeking to renew our hearts and minds, to release that 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 whatever is holding us captive, right? It could be something physical, it could be something emotional, or even spiritual. Right? Think about the spiritual trauma that our folks are going through today, right? Where they, you know, I just read in the news the other day that that Nancy Pelosi, regardless of your political beliefs, Right. She's been denied communion. 
right? That's spiritual trauma. Like what the church is, is doing harm, right? Uh, I know not all my sisters and brothers who are Catholic are like that by any means, uh, because I, I have a, a new respect for the Catholic church, don't get me wrong, but, but that's stuff that we have to really pay attention to and ask ourselves, this is not gospel. This mm-hmm. is not of God. This is not of Jesus. So when we talk about our biblical understanding of what God is calling us to, what does that look like here and now on our street corners, uh, the work that our church can do, the work that our community needs to do, that our country, that our world needs to do? How do we, how do we intersect what we're called to, um, being anointed to be the hands and feet of Christ, to bring the good news? And then over on the other side here, we have all these social justice issues um, that we see great suffering. Yeah. How do we go to work? Well, for one, understand the reality, right? That you're not going to be able to tackle every social issue, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that that, that we can say this is an injustice. Um, So we want to be gracious and, and kind with ourselves, right? Because in the midst of that, I go back to the best thing that we can start doing now is continuing to get and getting into a mode of, of showing empathy, of learning and listening. Um, and that's even with the folks who are not part of our community. Let me give you some examples that I've experienced uh, over the last two years of, of doing this work. So uh, why I'm really passionate about you know, racial injustice is because I've experienced it. I've experienced it not only within my family, but I also experienced it uh, at the churches that I've served at. And so two, three summers ago, I was um, doing a, uh, uh, I was covering for a colleague of mine on a Sunday evening worship service. And one of our paid staff, uh, law enforcement uh, folks uh, came up to me and uh, said a racial comment to me. Uh, this is right, like when service is you know, starting. And at that point, what do, what do you do, right? What is, what is uh, you know, a helpful, constructive conversation look like? At the same time, though, I'm also angry, but I'm supposed to put this facade on because at that point, I'm Pastor Tino. So mm-hmm. I go home, I remember going and I was sitting next to the senior pastor and as worship was starting, I said, I got to go home. I'm not really feeling good. I didn't talk to my family that evening about it, but I did make a vow and commitment that I would never be silent on, on these issues, on these injustices ever again. At the same time, though, I, as angry and as hurt as, and as embarrassed as I was, uh, I, had to, I had to wrestle with that uh, because I'm also in the restorative business. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to figure out, OK, it's not going to do any well for me to go and, you know, chew this guy out and ask for his termination because he's still carrying this toxic narrative uh, with him. So I remember sitting down with him. uh, He was very apologetic. Uh, I forgave him, but then we we started unpacking it. Like, I want to talk about this narrative that that you carry. Do you believe that? Do you believe all Mexicans are causing trouble? Do you believe all Mexicans are bad? He could not answer. And that told me something that, okay, we, we got some work to do. So I remember that one of the things I wanted to do with him was meet with him at least once a week. But at that point, the leadership decided to take it upon themselves to figure out what a, what a role for him would be like. And so they just moved him to another campus. Mm-hmm. And they said that he had read the book of Romans and that, you know, they felt like that was justifiable. Again, my restorative mind kicks in thinking like, okay, we got some work to do mm-hmm. because obviously <clears throat> this man still carries this narrative. And so I guarantee you, if he thinks that there's probably some other folks on staff that think this, Sure. So I remember thinking we we actually developed a curriculum 
that was designed not so much like an REI where it, it really dives in because I wasn't trying to invent the wheel. What I was really trying to focus on was primarily for churches with large staff members. Here's how you can kind of break the mold and start having these hard conversations because they are hard. They are uncomfortable, but you, mm -hmm. we need to have them. And it was a challenge at first, um, but you started seeing the work slowly gravitate. People started gravitating towards the work that we were doing. And really what I was just trying to do was I, that's when I really got out within my own confines of the church where I was serving and get into the neighborhood with folks who were already doing this work. Uh, they weren't United Methodists. They were other non-denominational uh, pastors, but also uh, there were some Baptist pastors that we got together, but we all started having these conversations about what is racism, the history of racism within our community, in this case, Kansas City. But more importantly, how do we, how do we really call it out and how do we do this work? Uh, that was the real goal in all of that. And it, it grew and I was, the spirit just moved in that. Uh, but that was one of the things that I learned that I was telling my folks in the congregants that it's a learning process, but you can get involved. You can, you can get connected with other people that are already doing this work. You don't have to necessarily go, you know, to another state or even the churches do this at times, bring in a special guest speaker from another state. And, and I'm like, wait a minute, you can just get someone who's already doing this work and then we can actually collaborate with them and, and build off of what we're trying to accomplish. This was all happening when you know George Floyd and Breonna Taylor all of that was going on and so I also remember that when the protests were going on here out, out here in Kansas City uh, a lot of a lot of our white brothers and sisters in churches didn't know how to respond to that mm -hmm. and so even our church got, got involved and they all got together and they all decided to go out on this you know neighborhood called Truce up here in North Kansas City Truth is like the dividing line where people say it's that dark, shadowy place. You must never go there, right? Um, but they decided to get their signs out there, represent their churches, and say, hey, we're praying for you. Uh, we're, we love you. I get it. Um, great intentions, uh, good intentions. But uh, I, I remember a friend of mine, uh, a mentor of mine, was uh, who was actually helping me with the beloved community project, said, don't just go on truths and pray on truths, pay on truths. Yes. Don't just pray on truths, but pay on truths. In other words, what he meant was like, if you really want to build community and learn from people that, uh, that look different than you and act like, go, go to their businesses, go eat at their restaurants, go walk around, get a feel, go invest, go volunteer. Uh, that's how we're going to really uh, build the community the, the way that God intended it to be. Uh, again, we live in silos. And we operate mm -hmm. in silos at times. And even our denominations do that as well. And we think that we have this better or that better. But the truth is, is all of us have something to learn. And all of us have something to share. And, mm -hmm. and man, we could do more work if we collaborated uh, for the common good, rather than figure out like, okay, we got we to gotta have this piece or they got to have this piece. So that's just kind of one example, some examples of how we can really kind of learn and gravitate. It's a learning process, uh, but get out in your community um, and, and get connected with other people that are already doing this work and learn from them. Again, you, it, it's because it, I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed with a lot of the information that we're, that we're retaining, but again, it's a process. So I just, mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there. I love that. I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing all of that. I think what's so important is that we uh, I'm going to speak for myself as a, as a white woman. Um, 
we need to learn. We need to ask questions and then we need to be quiet and we need to listen and we need to learn and not assume. My husband is Hispanic and I've been married now about five, almost six years. And I am still learning. I cannot pretend that I understand uh, the Hispanic culture. I need to continue to learn and to ask those questions, to observe, to support, and to continue to work uh, for justice uh, for all my siblings um, who who struggle uh, in, in multiple arenas. It's been interesting to see the culture that my husband grew up in and just what has been taken as norm when I, as a person of privilege, see this isn't right. Um, and oppressed communities that we take as this is just normal, this is just how it is, but it doesn't have to be this way. And so I think asking those questions, listening, uh, and we'll go back to empathy as well, um, being empathetic, but then also working even in just small ways, incremental ways, uh, for instance, we are getting a, a new roof put on our house because of some hail damage. And we were interviewing a few companies talking, you know, trying to decide which company we were going to go with. And we ultimately decided with this one company and I, I brought out, uh, we brought the, the gentleman back and I said, you know, I just, I want to talk a little bit about what that day is going to look like when you come and, and, and the men come to work on the roof and I said, you know, how are these uh, persons compensated? Um, what kind of breaks will they receive? Um, living in Texas, traditionally, it's uh, Hispanic men who would come and, and, and do this work. I'm generalizing only because um, it's just what I've, uh, I've witnessed and observed. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure that they would receive breaks and lunch. Do they have plenty of water? How are they being taken care of? And this man was um, almost surprised that I was asking these questions. And I said, no, this is, this is really important for us. Um, and he assured me that, that he would, that they would have breaks, that they do have lunch and that they are well compensated. He kind of made the joke. He's like, yeah, they're probably paid better than I am. <laughs> and um, it was important for me to ask those questions. And then you better believe the day that this happened, um, I will be here as well to ensure that that happens. And I will have cold bottles of water to offer um, to my siblings in Christ who are doing this work that we need done that we can't physically do and don't have the skills and how to do it. Um, but for me, that's a, a, it's a little step and I, I don't always get it right, but it's, it's that consciousness and that awareness of, I, I want to ensure that I am honoring the Imago Day in my siblings and honoring the justice um, that they deserve. Mm. Joy, I love what you just said there. Um, in the Imago Day, right? The, the image of God, because really all of us are created in the image of God. That's really what we're trying to reclaim, right? Is that is that is that gift that God bestowed upon us. And it's seeing them. Uh, just the fact that you, I hear words of ad, you know advocacy of just seeing them right and making sure hey they're going to get the care that they need um, 
the equity that they need, you know, as, as they do this work. Um, that is some simple things like that, right? Just being aware. Um, so yeah, self-awareness is always really good uh, to, to use that as a practice um, in, in doing this work. Um, so thank you for saying that. That, that, that. That's a great reminder. And yet I think there's still so many areas uh, in, in our community where I need to open my eyes. I need to increase my awareness. Um, when we talk about our siblings who are unhoused, we talk about um, our siblings who are incarcerated. We talk about our LGBTQ uh, siblings who are thought of as, as less than. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're enjoying the conversation. There are many more resources on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. I hope that you'll check them out. Also, we have two exciting webinars coming up. The first, July 15th and 16th, 2022, for certified lay ministers to receive specialization in congregational care. This is in collaboration with the Lay Servant Ministry of the United Methodist Church. And October 15th and 16th, 2022, we'll host our fall webinar to train and equip your pastors and laity to coordinate and begin a care ministry. This is also a great training for new congregational care ministers or pastors who are looking to take their care ministry to a whole new level. All are welcome to join us. doesn't matter what denomination you're in or even if you're just curious. You can register on our website and please reach out if you have any questions. And now back to our episode. What other areas of, of justice do you see um, the work that, that is needed? So this is all important. Um, When I think something that I'm seeing now that's really troubling me now today is the abuse of power of uh, primarily men, um, especially in the church, that have taken advantage of the marginalized of, of, of women um, and the way they have treated them and mistreated them. I know this because I've been a part uh, uh, as far as helping and care for folks that have, that have experienced that. Uh, my wife has experienced that. So again, you're learning and you're growing, right? And you're seeing the pain and you're like, wait a minute, this, this can't happen. This is another injustice, right? Mm-hmm. So um, this is another thing that I think that we need to be aware of as church leaders, um, when to call out an injustice. And, I, you know, what does that even look like, right? Because, you know, I often go in, you know, when I'm, I, I don't have a problem with, with stating what's on my mind and also confronting uh, the issues at hand. At first, when all this was going down, when I started finding my voice like three, four years ago, I, I have to admit, you know, as someone of color, as someone who is kind of, um, you know, an outsider, uh, yeah, I felt like I had a bullseye on my back. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, there's a cost to this when you come forward with stuff, when, when you start calling out injustices. At the same time, though, um, I knew that against it, it, this was going to question my morals, my ethics, my values, and I just could not let that get a hold of me. Um, I, I, I wouldn't let that take, take over me. And this is why you see a lot of pastors get in trouble, a lot of men get in trouble. Uh, I, for one, as pastors, I don't think we were ever called to have that much power. Uh, because we don't know what to do with it, 
Uh, that's why it gets us in trouble. The second thing is we have to be reminded that we are called to give away our power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philippians chapter two speaks of this, right? When Jesus uh, becomes the, the humble servant and we are called to give away our power and empower others to live mm-hmm. into their God-given potential, their God-given um, uh, uh, love that God has bestowed upon them. And so uh, I think this is a big problem in the church right now. And we, we got to call it out, this male toxicity and the abuse of power that has, that has pretty much, uh, well, it, it's, it's going rampant, um, but we got to call it out. And it starts with me, even being a man, not only learning and walking with my sisters in this, but also advocating for them and calling it out. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned there's a cost to calling out injustices. I think that's huge. And I think I know in my own life, there are times when you see this injustice and you know what the cost is going to be. And I know in my own uh, confession here, I haven't been able to to bear that cost or haven't been able to, um, for one reason or another, how do we get past that? How do we, how do we discern um, when is the right time to speak up? How we speak up? What do we what do we do about it? Um, how do we how do we discern that cost? And and I, I'm almost thinking of for my corporate days, like the cost benefit analysis, right? Um, I think in God's society, and what Jesus I feel like would say to us would be like. It doesn't matter. You have to, right? You have. I mean, obviously. Jesus paid the ultimate cost. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we're human and our egos get in the way our, our we're timid. Um, and how do we, how do we work through that? How do we, how do we wrestle with that? Yeah. So the good thing is we're not alone, right? Uh, if we, we were talking earlier about, uh, the, the passage in Luke's gospel and how we were kind of like laughing at it, that when Jesus proclaimed this good news, this, this justice yeah. news, uh, they try to kill him, right? And so I always kind of go in with the, you know, the insight of like, okay, some days we're feeling like we're going to be thrown off a cliff, right? Sure. And we just feel defeated, uh, and that's hard. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, I've been there, and I'm not saying I'm not going to experience that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, though, it, it comes with the work, mm-hmm. regardless of what decision that we choose, right? You have to remember that there's a cost to everything, right? There's always going to be a cost. Uh, when I was, you know, approached uh, with issues such as injustices, you know, uh, I had to ask myself, like, for example, that night when that gentleman made a racist comment to me uh, and I went home, I, I was struggling whether or not to just ignore it or to say something about it. And I knew that if I decided to move forward with it and say something about it, that it was going to be hard work, that I couldn't just expect up the snap of my fingers that everyone was going to be on the same mindset as I was. Uh, and so it, it, it took, you know, a good two years, uh, but, and I would get frustrated and I would get angry, but at the same time though, I also had this, this piece, um, and I can't really describe it. It's a piece that sustains and surpasses all understanding. I, I guess the only way I can say that is that there were, I slept really well because I knew that we were doing the right thing. And at the end of it all, I had my family by my side and I had great mentors and I had great colleagues and friends and friends by my side as well. So I guess I would say, I don't know if I have a direct answer for this this question, but I will say definitely self-care, take care of yourself. Understand that 
you, you be gentle with yourself and love yourself. Um, that's important, right? And what I mean by loving yourself is like, do you see yourself the way God sees you? That you're an amazing work and that you carry the image of God and you're doing good work. So just rest in that. Uh, if you got family, lean on that. If you got your community of faith, lean on that. Lean on some good mentors as you do this work, because again, this is the beauty of, of our faith. We don't have to do this alone. Mm -hmm. um, but understand that this work is hard and uh but it's so worth it mm -hmm. uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't change it for anything um uh, because i know that this is i mean this is the work that we're called to do and we should always be learning and growing with it and, and unfortunately we will have the times where we felt where, that we feel that we are in the valleys but rest assured god is with us in those valleys and i believe that ultimately we are laying the groundwork uh, as I would like to think for myself, I'm laying, I, at least I am helping lay the groundwork for my 15 year old daughter who can have a future and that can have a future of, of love and grace and, and acceptance. Mm, I love that. And to go back to um, part one in Luke's gospel, you reminded us the spirit of the Lord is upon us that is active and alive. And I love that reminder that we are not alone. In all today, right? Today. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I think that's a great reminder. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned this discernment process, right? You experienced this injustice. You took the time, prayerfully considered, how am I going to approach this? And I think that discernment is incredibly important. And whether that discernment process takes a moment a day, a month, or a couple of years, even, or even a decade that, that we are able to discern how it is that God is calling us to, to, because really we're bringing that good news to a person who has in their heart and mind, this is how this is acceptable to treat others this way. Right. And you're bringing this good news of like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about this. And I am just so grateful that you had that opportunity to spend time with this person who had hurt you so deeply and you hope and pray that that harm ceases that, that now this person understands mm -hmm. a little bit better and having received this good news of like, guess what? Like, you know, you don't have to, I don't want to say this. Um, well, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, especially when with racial, like dehumanizing someone, not seeing someone for who they are. And it yeah. makes me wonder, do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Sure. Right? sure. How do you, you know, you want to get to the inner core of that. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's the work that we're trying to do, right? Is yeah. ultimately, because we're our own worst critics, right? We'll, we'll beat ourselves up. Um, but at the same time, though, like we also need someone to tell us that, hey, I see you mm -hmm. and you're important. God mm -hmm. loves you. Uh, and let's walk this journey together. Mm -hmm. um, let me let me just touch on something here real quick. because I think I don't want to I don't I don't want to hope I'm not giving this off. I said uh, I'm a restorative guy and I and I am I'm, I'm, I'm restorative at the core of my heart. Uh, at, you know, when I had the. I was really engaged with trying to restore this gentleman, you know, and his mindset and the narratives that he carried. Uh, the work is hard. We did it. Uh, it's still a conversation that we still have to this day. At the same time, though, um, I, I want to address that churches, you know, in general, I think struggle with this because they, yes, I believe they want to restore 
but too often we have been restoring those who have done the harm and neglecting those who have been harmed. And so the, the restorative work goes both ways. It's restoring those who have done the harm, but also those who have been harmed. And I'm not even, I'm not suggesting either that, you know, that those who have done harm should still stay in power, that should be in positions. No, by any means. Uh, yeah, we can offer grace and say, hey, we got to go a different direction. But at the same time, though, like, I just want to emphasize that, that that justice work comes with restorative uh, restoration but we need to take an emphasis on restoring those who have been harmed. Hmm. I love that. What comes to mind is in Luke 22, when uh, one of the disciples cuts off the ear of the high priest and Jesus is like, no, 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 we're, we're, wait a minute. And he heals the, the ear and he's like, we're gonna, not going to go about it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think that's part of that discernment process, again, for those who um, have done the harm and for those who have been harmed and how do we, how do we heal? How do we move forward? How do we seek peace, seek God's peace and all of that? Yep. Absolutely. That is beautiful. Well, you have such remarkable stories and I appreciate all of your time that you've um, devoted to the work of social justice and care and how you blend those so beautifully with such empathy and grace. And um, can I just say one thing please, uh, yes. for those who are listening? Cause I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that we're getting a lot of folks on here just in care um, pastors, preacher, you know um, I remember you asked me a question um, and I'm sorry if I didn't answer, if I did answer it already okay. in a different way, but um it goes, it was just having me think like, how do we preach this? How do we teach this? I, yes. I give an examples of action, but again, how do we do it from the pulpit? How do we do it from the proclamation of God's word? Um, so Walter Brueggemann is one of my favorite authors and he wrote a book a couple of years called, uh, so well, actually several years ago, but he revised it uh, called The Prophetic Imagination. And ever since I read that book, it has stuck with me as far as um, talking about issues specifically related to injustices. Um, there's a quote that he says that the task of the, the prophetic imaginator uh, is to nourish and to nourish and invoke a consciousness and a perception, right, of a different alternative, of a different reality. So in other words, yes, the prophet, the, the, the prophetic imagination says, yes, this is the past. This is what has happened in the past. This is where we are. This is what we're experiencing right now. I think we get stuck there. I think we don't know how to how to use our imaginations of giving folks a different reality of a different world, because that's where Brueggemann speaks to you go further and give them a, a future of hope, a future of, of grace, a future of love. Like, yes, this is where we are. But my gosh, think about where we could be and what God envisions for us a beloved community of people that are, are sharing resources and doing the common good. That, that, that was, that was MLK's dream, right? That was the mountaintop experience, Absolutely. right? That he may never get to see it, but he sees it giving us that, that vision of one day where there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. Um, so uh, just remember it's, we got to call it out. We got to address it, but then we also got to give our folks hope. And a, and a different reality, a good reality, a kingdom-minded reality. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for giving us hope and pointing to the way that it can be. So thank you, Reverend Tino. It was great to be here. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Joy. I, I'm grateful. God bless you. Thank you.
tuning in today. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you'll join us next week. So on Tuesday, 5 a.m., we'll drop a brand new episode. And this coming week will be an interview with Reverend Dr. Steve Harper. And this will be a two-part episode again. We had so much to talk about. Um, So he is the author of Holy Love, A Biblical Theology for Human Sexuality. I thought to kick off June of 2022, Pride Month, it would be an excellent opportunity to have a really deep conversation about uh, Dr. Steve Harper's understanding of human sexuality from a biblical theological perspective. Um, Dr. Harper has a remarkable perspective. He shares with us his understanding that has evolved and changed over the years, and it gives us so much insight, so many things that we continue to learn as we are disciples following Jesus to create a culture of care in our church, in our community. So I hope that you'll tune in next week, Tuesday. Uh, 5 a.m. It'll be posted on SoundCloud and Apple. And also be sure to rate uh, this podcast, share it with your friends, your clergy, your laity, your your aunts or uncles. <laughs> Just be sure to share this and um, be sure to give us a, a rating and, and comment if you'd like as well. And of course, for more information, go to our website, thecaringcongregation.com, and all of our contact information is there if you'd like to reach out. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.